first Bible reading comes from 1 Samuel 23 verses 13 to 29 and that's on page 295 of the church Bible. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph day after day. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. The Zephites went up to Saul at Gebir and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hekila, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he is very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he, is in the, if he is in the area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Mount in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger from Saul say, a messenger, a messenger came to Saul saying, "Come quickly! The Philistines are, are raiding the land." Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamalikot. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. The second reading comes from Psalm 57. That's page 576 in the Church Bible. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God, must I, to God, who vindicates me. He sends me from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sent forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous abysses, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, <clears throat> excuse me, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the, all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I bow down in, 
bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lie. I will, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over, the earth, all, over all the earth. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray together, shall we? David says, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Father God, at times like David, we can be bowed down in distress. We can feel that a disaster awaits and faces us on every side, and yet our hearts can be steadfast in the knowledge that you are for us, and you are with us, and you will deliver us because you are our refuge. And we ask and pray as we read this psalm together that you would show us through through your word the wonders of your love and give us steadfast spirits that rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We're not going to look particularly at that first reading, although I think it will be helpful to have it in our minds, but would you make sure you have that second passage open in front of you on page 577 if you're using a church Bible, and we're continuing a series uh, in the Psalms looking at uh, songs to make your heart sing. Songs to make your heart sing has been our theme, and we're continuing in that today. Uh, One man, four months and a room full of snakes. That is perfect clickbait for me. So I did, and the article went on. David Jones from South Africa spent 121 days in a small room with 40 black mambas, cobras, boom slangs, and puff adders. At the end of it all, this is what he had to say for himself. I was pretty selfish. These past four months, doing this and leaving my wife and my son behind. But it's something I've wanted to do for years. And they've been so supportive. Well, as I read the article, I just kept thinking to myself, who does this kind of thing? I mean, isn't life challenging enough without locking yourself up in a big box with 40 deadly snakes for 120 days? Who puts themselves through a trial simply because they want to. I'm not sure. Well, David is not in that kind of a situation in our psalm this morning. The trial he's facing is not one in which he has chosen to put his life at danger, but it is a trial where he feels very much under attack, not from poisonous snakes, but he is surrounded, verse 4, he says, by hungry lions. Verse 4, he says, I am forced to dwell among the ravenous beasts. Well, he's referring, as we'll see, to the attack upon his life by King Saul. David is a believer. He trusts in God. 
and yet right now his life is spiraling out of control. The, the Psalms sometimes give us a little bit of a clue as to the context in which they've been written. And our clue is right here. Do you notice just directly under the words Psalm 57, there's a, there's a little heading. We're told that this song is a miktam. When David had to flee from Saul in the cave. Do you see that? Which is why we had that reading from 1 Samuel. David is a fugitive. He's on the run, forced to hide in a cave in the desert. And the most powerful man in the country, the king, wants him dead and will stop at nothing in his pursuit of him. And David realizes his only escape is to run to the hills, to hide in the deserts. And David summarizes his situation in a single word. It's there for us at the end of verse 1. Did you notice it? Disaster. I guess there's no other word for it, is there? This is about as tough as life gets. And as you read through the psalm, the surprise, though, is to discover that although his life is a disaster circumstantially, this song is full of optimism, hope, even joy. How is that possible? Well, because David wants you to know that he's not actually taken refuge in a cave. He's taken refuge in his God. Verse 1, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. Uh, David's trust is in the face of his circumstances. And his circumstances, he wants us to know, are not the whole picture. They're not actually the true story. His confidence is, despite appearances, God is with him, God is for him, God will protect him, and God will deliver him. That's quite a big claim for a man on the run in the desert, isn't it? And what uh, David is revealing is that it's quite possible, as a believer to be very vulnerable and weak and yet spiritually totally secure. Vulnerable and weak and yet totally secure. And David's goal in this psalm is to teach us, to encourage us that we too can have a steadfast, joyful trust in God even in the face of the greatest of trials. It's a psalm for us this morning if we feel that we are living among lions when we're forced to seek safety. And the question for every one of us, whether we call ourselves Christians here this morning or not, is this, where do you run to for refuge? Christian author Paul Tripp puts it this way. He says, in the middle of trouble... When you're in the heat of the battle, you will run somewhere for refuge. You will run somewhere for rest, comfort, peace, encouragement, wisdom, healing, and strength. Perhaps in a time of trouble, you run to other people, hoping that they can be your personal Messiah. Perhaps you can't bear to face reality and you run to entertainment, hoping to numb your troubles away. Maybe you run into a substance trying your best to to turn off the pain. He suggests that, that many of us run to food or to sex because we think the best way to fight pain is to fill life with as much pleasure as we can. 
But actually, none of these things can give us the security we need. They can provide distraction. They might be able to provide respite and relief, but not safety, not security, not refuge. They can't save us from disaster. So if we're turning to these things and putting our hope in them, we just end up adding disappointment to the troubles we already face. Only someone who is able to defeat our enemies, who can come to our rescue, can be our refuge. Tripp writes, there's only one place to run where true protection, rest and strength can be found. He says, you and I must learn to make the Lord our refuge. David is a man who knows that his man cave can't be a refuge, but his God can. Now, before we uh, look at this in more detail, uh, please do remember what we are and are not saying. We're not saying that to be spiritual is to just close your eyes and pray and not to take any kind of action. Just close your eyes and pray or do something like that. After all, David has taken action, hasn't he? Where is he? Well, he's fled from Saul. He's gone into a desert. He's hiding in a cave. He's gone as far away from Saul as he can get. He takes action. He runs to escape, to protect himself. And so we, recognizing that uh, we live amongst lions, there are dangers on different sides, we may take action to protect ourselves. We, we build up a pension pot to cover retirement, or we take regular exercise. We go for a blood test or a register on a course of counseling. Even the Apostle Paul took legal advice and sought protection from Caesar as he sought to preach the gospel that Caesar might protect him from his enemies. Nothing wrong with hiding in a cave. So long as you know that it's not the cave that is saving you. And for us to know that in the midst of disaster, it's not our cash nor our family, but our God, who in and through these circumstances can work to save us. Well, back to the psalm. When dark days come, when disaster strikes, David says, verse 1, In you I take refuge. Have mercy on me, my God. David says, when life is overwhelming, go to God every time. Put your trust in him. William Plummer wrote these words over a hundred years ago. He said, when man hates us, let us seek the love of God. When man reproaches us, let us seek the honor that comes from God only. When man is cruel, let us seek God's loving kindness. So this morning, I want us to think a little bit about what this might mean. Now, like a a good football match, this psalm is also a game of two halves. Maybe you notice that in verses 5 and 11, we have the same refrain. Words of praise to God. The first half then goes from verse 1 to the end of that first refrain, so verses 1 to 5, and we'll call that a plea to God for deliverance, verses 1 to 5, a plea to God for deliverance. And then the second half of the psalm, verses 6 to 11, is a song of praise, 
to God for deliverance. So a plea to God and a song of praise. 1 to 5 and then 6 to 11. So start then at verses 1 to 5. Um, in this psalm, actually, only in verse 1 does, does David directly pray to God. Verse 1, have mercy on me, my God, for in you I take refuge. And David is utterly confident that God is going to protect him. Do you see that? He uses the picture of a, a mother hen protecting her chicks, perhaps from the burning heat of the sun. They're safe under her wings. David uses this metaphor elsewhere in Psalm 91. He says uh, of the Lord, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. Jesus said in uh, Luke uh, these words, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And I think the reason the illustration of a, of a hen protecting its chicks under her wings is, is so helpful because I think the reason it works is because it says in any trial, whatever form it takes, turn to your protector. And if you're anything like me, in tough situations or a difficult season, you tend to fixate on the problem itself. And David says the solution is to take your mind off the problem and fix it onto your protector, shelter under him. And we can be confident that God can do and will do what no human can do to protect us because of who he is and the promises that he's made to us. Look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. Now, God most high, well, that could sound to our ears like a God who's way off in the distance. But actually, God most high in the Bible simply means the God who is the all-powerful one, the sovereign God. So David's confidence, the reason he's gone to God for refuge is because God is sovereign over his life. He's the God most high. So there's going to be no cruel twist of fate that's going to prevent God from hearing his prayer and answering, and the mighty power of the Most High God will ensure a speedy delivery. I wonder whether you have confidence that God is able to protect you as you go into work or as you seek to raise your children, whatever your circumstance might be. There's a sermon illustration, it's a little bit twee, but uh, I think it reveals something of our struggles to, to believe always. You probably know the story. It's a, the joke of the man who falls off a cliff but manages to grab a tree branch on his way down and desperately holding on to the branch, he shouts, Is anyone up there? I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Comes the voice from above. Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. That's all right. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. A pause, after which the man shouts, Is anyone else up there? In a time of disaster, do you sometimes wonder if there's anyone else up there other than God who can come to your uh, aid in a more tangible way? No, David knows that God is the one, God most high, 
who will vindicate him. Maybe you're here this morning, you're looking into uh, Christian things, you're not quite sure what you think, and it sounds to you as if religion is sort of like a crutch for the weak. Wishful thinking of people whose lives are hanging on by a thread who are just shouting out, is anyone there? Wishful thinking for those who can't face life, is that all Christianity is? I don't think so. Christianity is not vain hope or wish fulfillment. No, the God that we're crying out to is the one who has proven himself throughout history to be the God who is for us and not against us, to be the God who is mighty to save. And of course, supremely, we know that because he has stepped into our world in the person of his son. And through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has defeated our every enemy, even death itself. It's not an empty wish to cry out to this God. This is a God who has proven himself to be more powerful than death in the resurrection of his son. And David can cry, cry verse 3, he sends from heaven and saves me rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and faithfulness. Now in the ESV, if you're using an ESV, you'll notice it says he will send forth his love and faithfulness. The NIV simply says that he does send forth his love and faithfulness. And I guess the two translations taken together help us to see that when God says he'll do something, it's as good as done. It's a bit like uh, the UPS slogan on the side of their delivery vans, consider it done. If God has made a promise to deliver you from the evil one, consider it done. He's already done it. David's circumstances are still perilous. And yet, verse 3, he can say, he sends from heaven and saves me. God sends forth his love and faithfulness. And so he possesses a peace. He's taken refuge under the wings of Almighty God. Two things to know about God that can give you peace in troubled times. To know that he is mighty to save, he is God most high. And that he is willing to save. Because it's as good as done, because he's already completed your salvation in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And that means we can have the same kind of peace and confidence that David has in this psalm, even as he sits in a cave. We can have this peace because we have this God. And living this side of the cross, we see more clearly how much God is able and willing to save. Our lives are safe in his hands. Don't fix your attention on the problem Fix it on your protector, the God of refuge, the one in whom you rest. We read these words in Romans chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
He didn't even spare his son, but gave him up for us all. He'll give us all we need. Verse 4 reads, I am in the midst of lions. The ESV actually slightly better here because it says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down among the fiery beasts. Lying down actually here, although I don't think NIV makes it particularly clear, lying down is, is the idea of being able to fall asleep even whilst your enemies surround you. It's a picture of peace. Whatever's going on in my life, whatever the troubles are that I face, I can find rest for my soul, even surrounded by wild beasts, because God is my protector. It's as if David is saying, because I know God is going to act, I can go to sleep. Like Daniel, who slept in the lion's den. Do you remember the words of King Darius? Has your God been able to rescue you? And Daniel replied, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. Daniel slept among the lions and David can too because they worship the same God. No wonder David praises him. Verse 5, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The key to peace in the Christian life is in knowing what you can expect from God. That's the key. Knowing what you can expect from God. There can't be joy in the Christian life. There can't be peace in the life if you're not really sure what God is prepared to do for you. There can be no rest for a weary soul if you're not sure of what God thinks of you. No wonder Jim Packer said what comes into a person's mind when they think about God is the most important thing about them. Do you know whether God is for you? Do you know whether the promises that God makes to believers in scriptures are promises that you can personally apply? To your own life. Well, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have turned to him and you trust in him for forgiveness, then through his death on the cross, all of your sins, past, present, future, they're all forgiven, forgotten, forever. And therefore God, when he looks on you, is willing to look on you not only as a forgiven sinner, but as a son or daughter adopted into his family. And God will stop at nothing to protect you from the evil one. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus says when he comes back, he will go and take us to be where he is. Nothing can separate us from the love of God if we're in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we can lie down among the lines at peace because God is for us and God is with us and nothing can separate us from him. Do you know that? Are you confident of that? Is that knowledge of God in your life able to give you 
sleep in those trials and in those dark days. Maybe you don't know that God. Maybe you realize that he and he alone can provide refuge. He alone is bigger than death. Come and talk to myself or to Tim or to a friend who's come with you about how you can know this God for yourself. That you might find peace for your soul. Well, from a plea to God, 6 to 11, a song of praise to God. The, the metaphor switches from lions to hunters, doesn't it? They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. They're trying to trap him, but they have fallen into it themselves. Now, again, this is kind of, he's looking to the future and to the fact that not only will God deliver him from his enemies, but God will utterly destroy his enemies. And he's so sure of it that he can talk as if it's already done. UPS, consider it done. It's as good as happened. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Not only is your salvation secure in Jesus Christ, but the defeat and destruction of every enemy is certain too. Satan thought he was onto a winner when he, uh, when he worked through Judas that Jesus should die on a cross. And of course, all he was doing was falling into his own trap. That is where Satan was defeated. He only ever harmed himself. And David's enemies haven't fallen into that trap yet, but because God is sovereign... David knows it's only a matter of time. Our enemies may be very real, but every one of them will be defeated. Sin and sickness and death itself. It's only a matter of time. There is good as gone. And with those truths in his mind, verse 7, in the midst of this trial, David can say, my heart, O God, is steadfast. He's thought deeply about God, who he is, the promises that he's made, his eternal security, and he's reflected on it and come to peace in his heart. Verse 7. My heart is steadfast. Literally, my heart is set. I mean, like concrete, you know, fixed and firm. My heart is steadfast. Repetition is always significant in the Bible. It's like writing in bold or underlying, and he tells us twice in verse 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. And because it is, his heart then turns to praise. I will sing and make music. So if your heart is not steadfast, well, don't be surprised because many of us take a time to get to this place in our Christian lives. And we find our, our sense of peace comes and it goes. But as we reflect on who God is and come together around his word as God's people, so we can find, as we remember who he is, peace for our hearts. And it's good that we do this before times of trouble come. Perhaps for for most of us, we're not in that stage or phase of life. But knowing that when the day of disaster comes, my heart can be at peace is so important. George Osborne, famous uh, when he was Chancellor um, of the Exchequer, famously accused the previous government of failing to mend the roof when the sun was shining. It was kind of a metaphor to say you didn't put enough money aside in the good days 
so that when the bad days came, we could sort of continue to pay our way in the world. You didn't mend the roof when the sun was shining. There can be lots of Christians who don't turn their minds to how can I know God is for me in the good times and the bad. Don't think that through until the day of difficulty comes and then become extremely anxious and unsettled. But if you can learn to mend the roof when the sun is shining, to be sure of who God is, that will sustain you when the rains start to fall. So if you're perhaps a student and you've got, I know you don't think you have any time, but you do, more time than you'll ever have in your life. If you're a student, get, get hold of Packers Knowing God. Say, so what is my ambition for my university days is to really know the heart and mind of God, to be sure of the character of God. To let it sink into my heart and into my mind. Be very, very clear who God is and what he's done for me and what he's promised for me. And I want to hold on to it and treasure it to decide in my heart there's no one like him. And to do that when all is well, when the sun is shining, so that I might know that he has my heart in the good times so that he can have my heart in the bad times. And a rock-solid confidence in God is the key that unlocks joy even in the dark days. A confidence in God to deliver will unlock joy in the darkness. Verse 7, I have a steadfast heart and the joyful response is I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Our lives, we said all the way through this series, our lives will always be full of mixed emotions. And dark days will fill your heart with fear. They will fill your heart with distress. They will fill your heart with anxiety. And you wouldn't be human if they didn't. And perhaps, to some degree, it can even be healthy. It's a part of the Christian experience and life. But other emotions can and should fill our hearts too. Godly spirit-given emotions that soothe and heal, that comfort and reassure, that grow out of gospel confidence and gospel truth and beliefs. That's what's happening to David in this psalm. And Richard Phillips in his commentary says, the truths of God in his mind have given David control over the turbulent emotions of his heart. It's truth in his mind that controls the turbulent emotions of his heart. His heart is steadfast, not because God has taken away his sufferings and troubles, but because he's sheltered under the character and reputation and name of God in the midst of them. He's drawn near to him, and God has filled his heart with new emotions of peace and comfort in and amongst the pain. He knows God will save him. No harm can finally come to him. He knows my enemies are already defeated. That Jesus has gone to heaven to prepare a place for me. That he will take me to be where he is. And with a steadfast heart, he starts to sing. And as he does so, so the comfort grows, verse 8. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Far from dreading the new day, David is up and awake and ready to welcome it. I will awaken the dawn. 
because I do not need to fear. And what's more, David now wants to praise his God before all the nations. This has been his healing, but it's now an opportunity to witness to the world. Verse 9, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. God is the cause of David's joy, and God is the goal of David's joy. He's the cause, he's the goal. He wants to sing of God's praise to the nations, that the nations might know this God. And our ability to be steadfast and even rejoice in trials is a powerful part of our witness, isn't it? In a world of claim and counterclaim, in the world of news and fake news, I think the one thing our friends see beyond any doubt is the power of a transformed life. That's undeniable. And it's not something that you can fake, the power of a transformed life. A heart that can be at rest in severe trial is extraordinary to behold in a world that has nowhere to run to for refuge. No hope that anything transcends death. And as Christians, we can witness to the world. And you may think your witness is tiny and insignificant. But I think our friends see more than you realize. Don't underestimate just holding on to Jesus in the dark days, what, how that speaks to your neighbors and your friends and your relatives. I have seen so many powerful testimonies. Don't underestimate them. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. God's glory is seen supremely in the suffering of his son. But it's also seen in the suffering of his people. So as you battle to rejoice, even in the midst of trial, you're not just battling for yourself, you're battling to bring glory to God among the nations. And who knows who might come to faith because they see a steadfast heart in days of disaster. And so our psalm ends in the words of that final refrain, verse 5 is repeated again in verse 11. David's concern, even in a cave, being hounded, surrounded by his enemies. David's concern is, be exalted, O God. It's for you. All this is for you. And it's all about you. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. Let's pray together. In a day of disaster, David says, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you that we have someone to run to who can shelter us in any storm and who can defeat our every enemy. Thank you that in you we are eternally secure. Remind us that you are not only powerful to save, but remind us that you are willing to save us, not because of ourselves, but because we cling hold to Jesus. And give us, we pray, steadfast hearts in days of darkness. 
Help us to know you enough to know that we are secure. And may our lives be lives that bear witness, even in the dark days, to your grace and your mercy, your power and your love, that others might come and see and know this God for themselves. Amen.